promo. Where'd that go? Come on. <laughs> Ashley created a little bumper for the sermon. And I was strictly told, wait for that to play until you come up. Thanks for changing it midstream. That's what's like, if it's anything, it's being flexible, right? Yeah, says the guy who made me be flexible. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So uh, tonight is our monthly prayer meeting, and that's where we speak the name of Jesus over our church, over our families, over this community, that the strongholds of fear, anxiety, lies, um, pain, that are holding families and people in bondage are broken first in prayer. And so I encourage you to come and pray. You can pray silently, you can pray out loud. We'll be led, uh, tonight we're going to focus on families. So that kind of aligns up with that special announcement we have coming at the end of the service. But I encourage you, you we wanna see change in our families, in our lives, in our church, in our community. It starts with prayer. We don't pray, we, are not, we, we can do things. When we pray, God does things. And when he does things, it's amazing. And so I encourage you to pray that we could experience the freedom of God in the lives that he's given us to live. Now, speaking of freedom, so I listen to sermons like you do, and, and I listen to other preachers like you do, and one of my favorite speakers is Andy Stanley. He's probably one of the best, in my opinion, speakers that there is out there. And I can't tell you how many times I listen to him and say, oh, man, I wish I thought to preach a sermon like that. And uh, so I was a couple years ago listening to a series that he wrote a book on called Enemies of the Heart. Um, I think it's like overcoming four emotions that uh, imprison us, something, that's the name of the book. If you want to, I recommend highly the book. And I thought, man, if I could just get Andy Stanley to come and preach at our church, that series, it's so powerful. And, and uh, I was kind of pondering that and the chances of getting him from Lana here are pretty between slim and none more none than slim and then it occurred to me well I can use his book as a guide and and preach the truth that he preached out of scripture I might not do it as well as he does it but I can still preach the same truth and so for to be honest with you this series that we're going into called delivered is about being delivered from four emotions that hold us prisoners because these four emotions have something in common. And the four emotions are guilt, the sense that I owe you something, then anger, you owe me something, greed, I owe me something, and jealousy, God owes me something. And those four emotions are holding us imprisoned in our relationships, in our thinking, in our walk with God, holding us in patterns of behavior that are destructive to the relationships I just mentioned. And so I thought, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna take that series and I'm going to share it because it's so freeing, at least I found it very freeing. So would you bow your head for a second and I just wanna pray over us, Jesus, that he might break any strongholds and give us freedom in our own lives. Jesus, you are Lord and you're master, you are king, you are God. And we pray for the freedom that comes from the truth 
when it's injected into the realities and the attitudes and the motivations of our lives. I pray for that freedom to reign in our lives today. Would you help us as we hear that we might obey and put into practice the truth that you're sharing with us today? Holy Spirit, we invite you to break any strongholds, lies, deceptions that may be in our minds. Would you do what only you could do? Amen. So I, uh, I'm in grade five or six. I grew up in Charlottetown, PEI, and I walked to school every day, two or three kilometers, yes, uphill in the snow all the time, both ways. But uh, in PEI, at least when I was growing up then, and still pretty much the same, people don't have fences. They have good-sized lots, and they don't put up fences. They just kind of, one flows into another. Some people have trees and stuff to kind of mark at the boundaries, but not a lot of fences, especially when I was growing up. And so as kids, you don't walk the roadway to school. You walk through people's yards, cutting through to get to wherever you're going, in this case, school. And I can remember in spring, we were coming home. I was with, there was three of us. We walked through into this backyard and noticed a hockey net at the back of the house. Now, when I was growing up, every kid played road hockey, but most of us only had two rocks that we used for the nets. You know, no, we, nobody, very few people had nets back then. And uh, so, so uh, we looked at the net and we said, wow, what a lucky kid to have his own net to play road hockey with. And we went home. The next day, we're cutting through the lawn again. We come back into the same yard. And the thought changed from what a lucky kid to, you know, we could take that net and use it. And then we went home. The third day, as we're walking through back into the yard, we said, we're going to take that net. And I can still remember, we threw our backpacks into the net and three of us grabbed it and ran like crazy. Three kids out of the backyard, along their uh, driveway, over the road, into the ditch of the next house, up the lawn and back through the next house. And once we were in the backyard, we knew we were safe because nobody had seen us. Nobody yelled, nobody said anything. And we carried that net home and we used it to play rock, road hockey. One net, the other team still had the rock. We had our net, we had the net. And, and see, nobody knew, because we lived too far away from that house, they never saw what was happening. And of course, our parents just assumed it belonged to one of the other kids because that's what we told our parents. And so it didn't me mean anything unusual. And we had this net to play with all of ourselves. We could have it and nobody knew that was stolen except me. And every time we played, I felt this nagging guilt that I owed whoever that kid was, because I didn't know the house, I owed that kid something. I owed him the net that I'd stolen from him. And I stopped doing the cut. People, my friends, well, what are you doing, Ed? Why aren't we, why are we walking the roadway? Because I felt too guilty to walk through that yard. I was too afraid that they would come out and say, you're the one. And, oh, you know, and I'd fall down and pee my pants and I'd be, uh, you know, oh, I was afraid. And, and, and I was afraid of getting caught. I was afraid they'd tell my parents. I was, I didn't even talk about it at school. Like we had a net. No, very few people had nets. I didn't even talk about it at school because I was afraid it might get back to the kid, whoever the kid was, it might get back to them, and then they would put two and two together and know I'd stolen it. And so I avoided that whole neighborhood. I walked around it 
because the guilt that I feel or felt at that time, the guilt, I, I didn't know how to deal with it other than avoid them or take the net back. But I wasn't going to do something stupid like that. It's just not, it's not only nine and 10 year old kids that deal with guilt. You and I deal with guilt too, right? Think about it. A dad who leaves his wife and children and goes off and starts another relationship, how does he normally now deal with his kids? Buys them stuff or avoids them. Buys them stuff. Why? Why do they ramp up on the buying? Because they feel like they owe that kid something. Or mom who gets deep into a career and begins to have no time, neglects the kids, and when she is home, ignores the behavior that before she would have dealt with but doesn't anymore. Why? Because she feels guilty about not being there and so doesn't want to be the mean one all the time and when I'm here, I don't want to always be harping on the kids. So she lets things go that she normally would deal with because she feels guilty. or a couple, Christian couple that are dating, know from the word of God that having sex outside of marriage is not acceptable to God. God has designed sex as a gift for marriage outside its sin. And so they know that, and but they start having sex and they're not gonna stop. And so they stop going to their life group, they stop going to their group, they stop meeting with their friends, and they start, you know, that's blaming the church, it's a bunch of hypocrites, and it's it's the teaching's no good, and nobody really understands, and soon they disappear. Because it's easier to blame other people than it is to Admit what's going on and deal with it. Or a nine-year-old kid avoids a whole neighborhood because of the guilt that he feels. See, we, have, we, we all deal with guilt because we're all broken people, all of us. And we do things sometimes that hurt other people. And we do things that are wrong. Sometimes they're small things, sometimes there's medium, medium things, sometimes they're big things. We all have that in common, that we sin, that we are broken people that hurt other people. And so what it creates in us is this sense of guilt because we know we owe them something. We took something from them or did something to them that we shouldn't have, and so we owe them something. And that's what guilt is, the sense that I owe you. I owe you something because I hurt you or took from you. But we've created ways to deal with guilt. We deny it. We bury it. We avoid it. We justify it. We pretend that it isn't there. We explain it away. And yet, in those quiet moments, when we're sitting on the GO train or driving down the 404 or out in the country or we see somebody who looks like somebody, ugh, we get that old feeling of guilt coming up again, and we gotta push it down. The problem with guilt is that it doesn't just affect us. It does affect us. It affects our health, our physical health. It affects our emotional health. It affects, it affects our relationships. And it especially affects our relationship with God. 
It drives us far away from him. Just like I didn't want to go near that house of the net that I stole, when we're feeling guilty, we don't want to draw close to God. Because we know we're wrong. Now, surprisingly, the remedy for guilt, being delivered from that sense of guilt, is really quite simple and very effective. Luke chapter 19 Verse 1, this is one of my favorite stories. I don't know why. I, I think because there's so much in it. And uh, I just want to take a look at and see how uh, guilt was dealt with by a very guilty person. And Jesus commends that person. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So he, he was on his way through Jericho, and a man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was chief tax collector, and he was, what's the word? Wealthy. Wealthy. He, was, he had a lot of money and a lot of stuff, and he was wealthy. Stop. How did he get wealthy? Well, he was a tax collector. Aren't all tax collectors wealthy? Generally so, yes. But how do they get their money? Do you know how? At this stage, when Jesus was alive, uh, Rome was beginning its golden era, its heyday, and it was conquering many different lands, and they would divide it up into provinces. And back at Rome, the, the government would then give out contracts to uh, Roman wealthy Roman families who would guarantee a certain income. So they would assess that province. They would guarantee an income every year for the Roman government uh, from that province. And then the government would choose which family they would give that to. And the family that got it would then go send their representatives, usually a member of their family, to be the ruler of that area and they would use the, the laws and the government to extract the taxes out of the people and then send a portion of it onto the Roman government that they were responsible for. They knew that they could get far more out of the province than was owed to the Roman government, and the Roman government knew that. That's how they worked the system. We'll give it to a family that will guarantee us this, and then whatever they get above that is theirs, and they got above it. But they didn't go out and collect the taxes themselves. They hired individuals like Zacchaeus who lived in an area and he was under the same uh, arrangement. We expect this from your area. Whatever you take over and above that from the people, you can keep, but you have to send us this. And what do we know about Zacchaeus? He was wealthy. Where did he get that money from? That's why tax collectors were so hated, because they extracted, using the force of the Roman uh, army and the protection, extracted money out of the people, passed on what they had to, and kept, and their wealth was seen by everyone, and people hated them, and they were guilty of abusing the people that they served. This is a very guilty man. 
Every time he sees a poor person, every time he gets yelled at, every time he gets spit at, he knows he deserves it. Greed, guilt, I guess that's just the cost. But how long can you live under guilt? That's a question you need to ask. How long can I live under guilt? How long do I want to keep living under the guilt of what I've done wrong? So he wanted to see Jesus, but he was short, so he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed up this sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter, this Jesus has gone to be a guest of sin. How could he, a religious leader, go eat and, and be at the house of this person that is so hated and so betrayed us and so rips us off? How could Jesus do that and support him? <laughs> Who said Jesus was supporting him? So we know Jesus goes, we know they, they're having a meal, and you know when they have a meal, what do you think happens at a meal? People talk, just like at your house. It's just all universal. It's odd if you sit at your meal at night with other people and don't say a word. I'll just say that. It's just really weird. People talk when they're having a meal. That's why coffee shops do so well. Give a person a cup of coffee and they start to talk. And that's what happened here. And we don't know what Jesus said to him. But we can guess by what he says and does. Look at what he says. But Zacchaeus, so this is after he's had Jesus in his house for a while. And they've eaten together. Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay them four times this amount. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to your house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save which was lost. Isn't it interesting? They're having a discussion, and he stands up in front of Jesus and all the twelve and whoever else might have been there, because we don't know if there were other guests. There might have been we know there's Jesus we know the 12 are with him maybe other people and he said look I have cheated I have stolen I have robbed and so what's that confession you know well I gotta I gotta get the money and you know I got the pressures from work coming down on me my boss if I don't you know so I, so I gotta take the money I don't like taking the money from people but I have to because this is my job and you know and there's no explanation I have cheated I have robbed I have stolen is what he's saying confession first step of dealing with guilt is bringing it out into the light. Second step, I will pay back. And he said, I'm going to give half of the money that I took illegally from people. Well, not illegally, but I took by force from people. I'm going to give half of it back to the poor. And then anybody I have robbed and taken from wrongly, I'll give them back four times what I took from them. That's called restitution. 
I've cheated, I've stolen, I've robbed, and I'm going to pay back, and I'm going to give back. And the implied, that, that's restitution. Confession, restitution. I'll make up for what I did. I'll replace what I took. I'll do whatever I can to make up. If I can do anything, I'll do what I can. And then implied in this is repentance. You don't stand up and say, this is true of me, and I'm paying it back and go, but I'm just going to go back and do it on Monday morning. How do you deal with guilt? Confession. Restitution. Repentance. Simple. Really effective, too. Just not easy. Uh, there's, the, there's the catch. So I said to you a couple weeks ago, be careful of being a teacher. James says it in chapter 3, the book of James. Don't be a teacher because you're held to a higher standard. I can't tell you how many times this happened. Happened again as I'm preparing for this. So I'm preparing this, <laughs> this sermon on guilt. I owe somebody something. You need to confess. You. You need to confess. You. You need to restore. And you. You need to repent and not do it again. Then the Spirit says, well, what about you? (laughs) It's funny what we remember and what we bury. About 15 years ago, I was... Crystal and I and the boys were home in PEI and we had a family get together. And I had treated a person, one of the family members, unkind and um, disrespectful, really. I didn't really think about it much in the moment when it happened, but it was afterwards. And I began to think, yeah, you know, I wasn't really that kind and I was, I was disrespectful. Ah, but, you know. And then I began to justify it. Well, he's, you know, this and that, and what else was I supposed to do? And, and so, I, through my justification of my behaviors being okay, I just kind of pushed it down and buried it. Probably 10 years went by. I don't think I thought that much about it. And if I did, I just kept, it's, it's been so long ago, it's so stupid, it's so simple, I don't even need to worry about it. You know, this is me talking now, right? Not the spirit. Then this, about two years ago, I began to think about it again. And I thought, you know what? As much as I want to explain it away, I was disrespectful and I was unkind. I should do something about it. Two years ago. I should do something about it. Then I'm fast forward to just a couple weeks ago. I'm (laughs) studying this passage to tell you, you need to confess, you need to restore, you need to repent. And the Spirit goes, you need to confess, you need to restore, you need to repent. I'm like, "Why, why won't I phone my relative and deal with this? pride, right? This is going to be humiliating. I mean, not only did I do it, I waited 15 years to admit it. 
fear. What are they going to do or say? But I mean, you can fight yourself for a while. But when the Spirit decides to speak to you, if you want to love Jesus, you can't ignore the Spirit. If you don't want to love Jesus, you can ignore the Spirit. You want to love Jesus, and I want to love Jesus. And I couldn't get this out of my mind. Nor could I stand here and preach that to you with this going on in the background. So, so I called him up. And, but he's not going to remember, right? No, he remembered. I called him up and said, you know what, I'll be honest with you. At that, when we were together as a family, I was unkind to you, and I treated you with disrespect. I should have handled you that situation far better than I did. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I didn't explain it. I didn't explain the extenuating circumstances as if that would have justified my behavior. I just said, this is true about me. I confess it to you. I am sorry. And to his credit, he said, it's okay, Ed. It's okay. I understand the situation. I was there. It was difficult. He didn't say, I forgive you, but he was saying, I forgive you. He's not a believer, so. I don't know if he understands that. Yeah, you can say, I forgive you. It's okay. I'm, I'm apologizing. I'm confessing sin. And I said, is there anything I could do to make up? He said, you know, nobody from your immediate family has ever come to visit us. When you're down... We, my wife and I would love if you would come and just visit our home. And I said, I can do that. I hung up the phone. I was going to say, I hung up the phone. <laughs> I hung up the phone. <laughs> freedom. Today, freedom is in this house. You want to deal with your guilt? Do it God's way. Confess it. Restore if you can. Sometimes you can't. There's no restoration to be made. How do you restore when you stole the life, the childhood away from a child? How do you restore when you destroyed the security of somebody you left? How do you destroy when you betrayed somebody and got them fired? Sometimes you just, there's no restoring. But if there is, confess, restore, and then repent. Don't do it again. I just want to take a moment and talk to you about Ephesians because, you know, this, what I'm saying for some of you is hard medicine. You're going to feel like me. You're going to feel embarrassed. You're going to feel proud. You're going to feel fearful. And you're not going to want to do what Jesus is telling you to do. A little strong there, wasn't it? I just want to make sure you got that point. This isn't a suggestion for better living. This is, if you want to follow me and be free from the guilt you feel, then do what I say. Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 5, and he says... To them have nothing to do with the fruitful deeds of darkness, but rather 
expose them, bring them into the light. And it's shameful to even mention what is disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Even when I take the sin from my life and bring it into the light, it becomes a light because how is that, how does sin become a light? Because I'm telling you, once you confess something, you say, I don't go there again. And I know what you're thinking. Here, you're thinking, well, I've told God about it. That's faux confession or confession light. Well, of course you've got to tell God about it. Of course, he already knows. But this bringing it into the light, Paul isn't talking about just telling God. He's talking about whoever you hurt, whoever you harmed, whoever you affected by your sin, you need to tell and bring into the light. Ugh. It's not enough just to confess to God, unless that person's gone, dead. Other than that, if they're still here and you can still phone them or talk to them, confession involves them. If your sin hurt or affected them. I was thinking about this and I thought, let me end with this. Well, what kind of situations would I need to confess? Have you ever treated a neighbor poorly or failed to help them when you should have? Has a person in your life with whom you have never attempted to share Jesus? Okay, well, let's stop on that one. Friends, family members, work associates, you've never ever even attempted to share Jesus with them. You want to know how to do it? Come and ask me. I'll show you very simply how to do it. Just ask me. Phone me up. Happy to do it. And then when I said that, you just felt guilty. Have you ignored or abandoned your kids? Never really dealt with that. Have you abused someone? Maybe you've had an abortion and you never told the father or others, you just held it with yourself. Confession is not a punishment. It is a deliverance from the guilt that is controlling your life. Jesus isn't looking to punish you. He already paid for that sin. He's looking to free you. Did you take something, maybe from a sibling? Lied about a coworker or a boss, stole something from work, cheated on your spouse or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, treated a family member with unkindness or disrespect, then if you've you done those things, you have felt guilt if you're a normal person and you buried it, you've explained it away, you blamed them, you, you avoided them. But why not do what Jesus says? Simple, effective, just hard. I'm going to guess there's a fair number of us that carry around guilt. You sense you owe someone because of something you did or said or didn't do. You know the amazing thing about this confession, restitution, repentance? It's the very same way we enter into relationship with Jesus. 
You think about it. We've all sinned against God multiple times every day, over and over and over, a whole lifetime of sin. And so the first step is confession, to admit, I, God, have sinned against you, and here's what I can think of, and I know there's a whole bunch I can't even think of right now, but if it comes to mind, I'll let you know. So the first step when we want to be reconciled with God is to admit, to confess to God, this is true about me. And the second is to restore back to God. Ha, problem. I've been sinning against God for 50 plus years over and over and over and over every day. How would I ever pay back a debt like that? Jesus' death on the cross is how it's paid back because Jesus knew I could not pay that debt back. And so he died in my place on the cross to pay pay for my sin, fully atone for it. And if I would believe that Jesus' death pays for my sin, so if I admit it and believe it and then choose to pledge my life to follow Jesus and obey him, Jesus says, I will give you life. And the same process works now that I'm a Christian. Ed, when you confess your sin and you restore to the person that hurt you, if you can, and you repent from it, then you will find new life. You will find me deeper in your life. You will experience me in a deeper way than ever before. It's your guilt that holds you imprisoned from going deeper. Confess it, restore if you can, and repent from it. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I don't know where the seed of your word is falling. We, not they, we are a people that struggle with guilt. And some of us have been pushing it down, avoiding it, explaining the way, but it just keeps coming back and back and back. And your spirit allows us for some reason to live in guilt and we forget about it and then you bring it up at other times just like I experienced and things that I thought are gone past and don't need to be dealt with you bring up and because of our fear and because of our pride and because of our uncertainty of how to handle the situation we have let the guilt control us and I pray now for freedom some of the sins I mentioned were huge and they struck fear in the heart of those who know they're guilty and for them, I pray, a fresh assurance of your love and a fresh reminder of the walk, the steps of freedom. And so, God, we pray, Jesus, over these strongholds of guilt in our life. We praise Jesus over the anxiety and the fear and the pride that fills us. We pray, Jesus, because you, Jesus, are able to do what we can't and deliver us from our guilt. In your name I pray, amen.